and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Christian Bosso. This podcast is also brought to you by Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the velocity-based training market developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based training system available and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable and it's super user-friendly. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Christian onto the show. Christian Bosser, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is an absolute pleasure to have you. Hey Matt, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm following the work you're doing for some time. It's absolutely awesome. <laughs> and not at all biased because, uh, yeah, you were you were there from the from the beginning when I uh, managed to get my job with uh, the Dutch Olympic team, and you helped me along the way. So I uh, I thoroughly appreciate that. Um, but uh, can you give us a quick update as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Yeah, just to follow up on what you just said, and now you have passed me right being a podcast host for one of the greatest uh, science of sports uh, educational resources uh, out there. So. Good job, man. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I'm not sure that's, that, that is qualified as surpassing you, but um, I very much appreciate the kind words at least. Oh, yeah. So my name is Christian Bosser. I think from my accent, it's very difficult to not know where I'm coming from. I'm originally from Germany. I studied sports science in Berlin, Madrid and Cologne. And after that, I moved on to work as a strength and conditioning coach for different international and national governing bodies, including the Catalan and Spanish Tennis Federation, the British Tennis Federation, the Chinese Olympic Committee. And now for the last 10 years, I'm in the Netherlands working with the Dutch Olympic Committee. 10 years. How's that been? Yeah, it's a long time. It's a long time. Uh, I haven't been in a job for that long before. Uh, I've always been a little bit all over the place and changing. However, now being there for 10 years has allowed me to be part of some incredible journeys of some of the athletes I'm with. And I think that's very, very gratifying gratifying for a coach. So, yeah, it's good. And we can we can definitely dive into a little bit of that today um, as to how you've then built that up over the years. And uh, you're, you're now in a position where um, you're able to, to work with some absolute genetic freak beasts in that sense. So, uh, so that's really cool. But, um, we're here to discuss a little bit about track cycling and, uh, and cycling sports. So can you give us, um, a bit of a, an introduction into how important strength and conditioning is in track cycling? Yeah. I mean, I, I would like to first talk about the importance of strength and conditioning anyway, because very often people, think the C, oh, excuse me, the S, which refers to strength, is basically everything strength and conditioning is. Sometimes I think it's much better to talk about physical preparation. And where I want to go with that is that I believe every single sport, there is a need for physical preparation. Um, if we look back in a little bit in the history, for example, we take a sport like Formula One, where people believed it was all about the car. And you had people in the past who were really not into physical conditioning or anything in the first place. But then over the years, Formula One drivers like Ayaton Senna, Michael Schumacher, they have really changed the game of also saying 
the physical conditioning and the shape of the driver is important. And now we see entire departments in Formula One teams. So physical preparation is important in any sport. Um, prior to the London Olympics, I worked with an equestrian athlete here in the Netherlands. Her name was Adelinde or is Adelinde Cornelissen. And she was very similar in equestrian. It's believed that it's all about the horse, right? The better the quality of the horse, the better the results. And whilst that is partly true, she was also of the opinion that she says, yeah, well, but it's also the connection between the human and the horse. So, and she really pushed herself, but also her teammates to put more attention to the physical conditioning. Okay, so where do I want to go with that? Uh, first takeaway, I think physical conditioning and strength and conditioning is very important for any sport. So, and now if we look at track cycling, if you look at the literature and you do a needs analysis of the sport, very often you, and what I do is the sprint disciplines, yeah? So that is um, the individual sprint, two people racing each other, then it's the Kairin, where are six people racing each other, and then it's the team sprint, where three, the men are three, and the women are two, and it's all within fairly short time frames. So if you make a needs analysis of the sport, you will see the performance limiting or performance determining factors always coming back, peak power, peak force, time to peak force, pedal revolutions, maximum velocity. And these are certainly things we can train very well in our strength and conditioning practice. So long story made short, um, strength and conditioning is important for track cyclists. So... You you discussed earlier, or you mentioned earlier, that you've you've done it now for ten years, um, and you've obviously got a development team who come through, and you've you've developed those athletes throughout that time. Um, when you get someone in the door straight away, what are you teaching them? Um, yeah, we have our performance model for the elite athletes. So this is how we believe. We need to train for that sport. And then we also have our training philosophy for these elite athletes. And what we do with the younger athletes is basically just reverse engineering of what do we need to do now in order to get them over three, four, five, six years to that level where our elite athletes are. Our training philosophy with the elite guys is very much focused on maximum strength development and power development. We do a lot of Olympic lifts or derivative of the Olympic lifts if we talk about exercise selection, also a lot of squatting bilaterally and unilaterally. And this then basically determines how we progress the training over time. So if the young athletes come in, it's all about the technical competency in certain lifts. So we work on the fundamental movements for the Olympic lifts. <laughs> now it's ringing on the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in. All good. <laughs> Do you need to go okay. get it? No, that's good. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Christmas time, huh? so presents Delivery are arriving. Is, yeah, Father Christmas is on the way. And normally, if it rings on the door, my kids never move. But now, get <laughs> kind of excited. It rings that. on the door, and I hear immediately someone <laughs> storming down the stairs. <laughs> <laughs> it's forging your signature. Yeah. 
Okay, so where, where did we just... Okay, so it's about developing the fundamental movements that are needed to perform the Olympic lifts and the squatting variations. So we spend a lot of time of learning how to hinge properly, how to jump and land properly, how to squat properly. So when they come in, it's really all about technical development. Uh, so the first things we do is very often just body weight stuff, again, learning how to hinge, how to squat, how to jump, how to land. And then over time, we add low to it. But let's say the first half a year to one year is solely focused on technical development. So when they are then technically competent, uh, how do you go about progressing them through on that on that scale as such uh, for the one year uh, to maybe a four years? So they're at that elite level. How do you go through progressing that next stage? Yeah, well, it's a seamless process. Huh? So it's not like you you it's like now the technical development is finalized and we go into a loading phase. Um, I like to use a lot of things that. Well, let's let's rephrase it. So if we look, for example, at the squatting pattern, right? we want to develop the squatting pattern. We obviously start unloaded and then we add load to it. The load can be a hands-free front squat where they balance a bar on the shoulders, have the hands, arms extended and squat down. So and this basically, if you don't perform that movement pattern correctly, the bar will either roll forward and roll down or it will choke you. So it's kind of a self Self-correcting exercise. But what this exercise also does is if you start with the lightest load that is possible, like a technique bar, the five kilos, but you can also progress it to 20, 40, 50, 60 kilos. So we have athletes that do the hands-free front squat with 60 kilos, 80 kilos, 100 kilos, and so on. So it is a seamless progression from technical learning to the loading pattern. But again, the way I try to build it up the way I build it up is have these self-correcting exercises primarily in the beginning before we move on to loaded back squats, loaded front squats and so on. And these self-correcting exercises are, for example, the one I just outlined, the hands-free front squat or the overhead squat. That is just for the squatting pattern. And then I have other tools for teaching the other patterns. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. Their technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market. And they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out their easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. And in terms of then uh, strength development, which uh, is obviously going to be one of your key uh, metrics as you go throughout that phase, how are you then looking to progress them in terms of their, their maximum strength? Um, yeah, well, 
The first, as I said, the first year is focused on technical development. Most often after one year, we have our first 1RM test. The 1RM test is often done um, where I look at the technical competency. So it's not necessarily the maximum load you can lift, but much more looking at the maximum load you can lift pr prior to technical failure. So once the technique breaks down, then I will kind of cut it off. And then this is how we determine the 1RM. So they could possibly lift much more load, but it's about how much they can lift at the best possible technique. So that is number one. So after one year, we have an indication of where the strength levels are. And from there, we just progress. I mean, we have the annual calendar, which determines the competitions. And then we schedule the training around the competitions. Cool. So when you've got those uh, guys and girls to an elite level as such, where they're, they're looking at being at the Olympics, for example, or uh, winning world championships, uh, they're already strong, right? So what, what kind of strength levels are you, are you looking at at that stage? Um. Well, I mean, I'm not necessarily convinced that it's about chasing any numbers. You know, some people can do, can get to a one and a half times body weight back squat. Some get to two, two and a half times body weight back squat. I'm not necessarily chasing these numbers, but I just try to get every athlete to be the best possible version of himself or herself. So that is number one. What was the second question? <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah it was it was looking at what the what the kind of goals are in terms of strength but in in that sense there are no predefined goals um well you always have an indication where your previous standard was huh? and from there you are always looking to progress that is probably how we work and again you everyone's somewhat different but we are looking at individual improvements and when when they are hitting that elite level, how does their training then vary from the uh, the stages beforehand? Yeah, um, first and foremost, at the elite level, the competitive calendar becomes more and more important. So we definitely work towards the most important competitions in a year, and then we schedule the training around it. I am lucky that the coaches I work with nowadays, they fully believe in what we are doing. So they also, they give me a lot of time or prioritize the strength and conditioning. Um, definitely, if it's not obvious by now, my training is very intensity focused. So intensity is the guiding factor. And we are working at very low volumes. So we are working at high intensity and low volumes throughout the year also with our elite guys because they have gotten to yeah some really really amazing levels i think not not i think balancing recovery and training becomes more and more important and this is what we look at very closely when i sit together with the coaches that we how do we best balance recovery and training within a mesocycle and can you give us some insights as to, to how you do that then practically, maybe with a, with an example? I mean, we have this standard, right? So two weeks of loading, one week unloading, three weeks of loading, one week unloading. But what we also do is we look at uh, 
three-week window and then we have a certain number of days loading followed by an unloading. So it's not only necessarily just, you know, two weeks of program, two weeks of training and then one week of unloading. It can also change within a three-week or four-week mesocycle. Cool. So, is, does that answer the question, or yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. More um, elaborate. And is there is there any ways that you then look at um, recovery specifically within your role, or do you leave that for the head coaches? Do you do you analyze the wellness data, for example? How does that look for you? See, I've been a few years ago. I've been to that conference where there was talk about acute and chronic training workload. Yeah, and there's been a lot of work been done in the last years about active chronic workload and ultimately at the end then they came up yeah but it's also about the human element if you see your athletes and you know your athletes you can already tell without looking at the numbers and that's also a little bit how i see it i work with these guys for so long i obviously have access to the wellness data and i use it um, to make an informed decision but very often the athletes can indicate where they are and you see where they are. So then, yes, recovery becomes more important and also the interaction becomes more important. But truth be told, I get asked this question a lot. I think me and the head coach sitting together and mapping out the training, we very rarely have any surprises. So this, it's not necessarily that we encounter what a lot of people seem to encounter, you have a training session planned and then athletes come in and say, oh, I can't do it today because I'm tired. I don't, we don't have that that often, I think. And this is because we spend a lot of time mapping out the training together and really looking at, okay, where can we push and where should we not push? I think that's, that's super interesting. It says a lot for working well with not only the, the athletes, but the head coaches. And I imagine it comes in, in some way as well due to your planning and making sure that you're not overtraining them too much or pushing the boundaries in certain places but obviously allowing them uh, enough time to recover too yeah so in terms of the most difficult question we can ask you we, we wanted to find the one thing that you see or do differently from the rest of the world so what is that one thing for Christian Bosser yeah I've listened to a few of the previous answers and first and foremost I think it's a brilliant question um, since you want to hear one thing I um, broke it down into 1A 1B 1C <laughs> excellent go for it um, I think number one the first thing that comes to mind is it's not that I that I'm the only one who knows but for example Jean-Jacques Rousseau said in the late 18th century Common sense is not that common, or it's also translated as common sense is not always common practice. I would encourage people to use their brain. Make sure that training is based on sound principles. I would also encourage people just because you hear maybe someone talking about things you've never heard before, seeing training methods that you've never heard before or exercises you've never heard before, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't serve your athletes. Double down on what you know and make sure it's based on sound principles. Um, number two, let me think. Number two is, I shouldn't probably be saying that on the Science of Sports podcast, but 
I think science is not always the answer. There's also an art of an art to training. Um, a lot of challenges we face when working with athletes, we can't find the answers in the book. Um, I thought about examples to make that visible. Uh, for those of you who work with team sport athletes, very often it's very difficult to get team sport athletes to exert a maximum effort. What do I want to say with that? We do our plyo training, we do our speed training and so on. And we ask them to sprint at a maximum velocity, for example. And what you see in the physical preparation, the maximum effort is very different to when they chase a ball or when they chase something. So these are challenges we're facing in the training. And you cannot always find the answer in the literature. So, and the last one is, which is something I'm a little bit passionate, no, not necessarily passionate about, but the training principle of variation <laughs> is one of the least important training, training principles. And it certainly doesn't mean that variation only applies to varying exercises. And this is probably where my philosophy comes in. We are focusing on having a few selected exercises and we double down on these exercises. And can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, very often it's believed that you need to vary exercises. Yeah? And I think it also originates back to the bodybuilding idea of muscle confusion and stuff like that. That if you don't vary exercises, your, your progress will stagnate and you don't get a stimulus from that. But there are many, many different training variables. And the most important training variables are volume, intensity, the exertion level. And this is something you can certainly vary and maintain exercise selection. So there's no need to switch your exercise around. One thing I found over the years is also if you, if you do switch exercise very often, it seems like the athletes struggle more with the technical execution of exercises if they are switched around too often and they can't really focus on maximum force output, maximum velocity output, maximum power output. So I much rather have them doing exercise. They are really confident and technically competent. And then I look at varying volumes, intensity, and exertion. I think that's super interesting. We can probably do a, an entire second podcast on that. Um, could you give us a quick list of the exercises that you do use then? Um, obviously, there's a there's a huge list of exercises you don't use: bosable squats, acrobatic, anything. But like, what what are your go to exercises? Yeah, again, it depends. It depends very much on the sport you're working with. Huh? So at the moment, I've been working with track cycling and BMX supercross for the last eight to ten years, and. The training philosophy we developed with the head coach is very much focused on what I've outlined. Yeah? So squatting variations, Olympic lift variations. And prior to that, I've worked in tennis and I'm grateful for the opportunity because it also gave me a broader skill set and also working on agility, speed development and all these kind of things. So long story made short, at this moment in time, mainly focusing on strength and power development. The go-to exercises are the Olympic lifts and the derivatives for BMX and track cycling and squatting bilateral and unilateral. 
And we also do the upper body stuff as kind of a maintenance with a maintenance focus. So before you leave, where can people find out a little bit more information about you? Yeah, people can find um, me on my website. I have a website, christianbosser.com. In the year 2020, I'm planning to put out much more educational content. I really want to share the lessons I've learned, and I also want to get my athletes involved. So what we are doing is we give a little bit of an insight of the behind the scenes, how we train. So there will be a lot of educational material coming your way in 2021. And yeah, if the science of sports community is interested in something, they can always reach out to me and I will definitely do my best to answer that. And where's the, where's the best place to find you? Yeah, you can do it through my website, christianbosser.com, and there's a contact form. You can also f send me messages through the social networks, but very often they get lost in translation. <laughs> <laughs> understandable mate understandable so Christian massive thanks for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure thanks Matt cheers buddy and that's it once again a massive thanks to Christian for all of his hard work on today's podcast I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too and before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our free to download performance digest issue. If like me, you have a very busy coaching week and you want to save as much time as possible on all of the bits around that. So for example, finding, analyzing scientific literature, then be sure to check out this free to download performance digest issue where there was 19 research reviews taken from the most interesting sports science research papers over the last month. They've been critically analyzed for you by our crack team of sports scientists and you can make sure that you're staying up to date with all of the latest information. So that one is free to download in the show notes. Be sure to click that one in just a few moments time. And before you do that, make sure you also hit the subscribe button on whichever sender you're listening on that allows us to share the great word of the podcast. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport and I'll speak to you next week.